Acts chapter 10, we have uh, followed Peter in his vision, state of ecstasy with the Lord. We were introduced to a man named Cornelius, a centurion, and he uh, is in Caesarea. He is a monotheist. He has pushed aside the Roman pantheon, decided that this faith of the Jews, this one God, is more superior. It makes more sense. There's morality attached to it. There's ordinances. There's a law. And he loves the Jewish people. He's been there evidently for some time. The Caesarea, again, 236 acres inside the wall, a large city for the day. And then it flips us to Peter at the house of Simon, because an angel tells Cornelius, send men to Joppa, to the house of one Simon the Tanner, and then his house, there's another one there, Simon, Cephas, uh, Peter, he's the one that you want to get to come to speak to you. Peter... She let down from heaven three times. No, Lord, I've never touched anything unclean. The Lord, of course, the lesson we looked at, don't call anything that I have cleansed common. And then the Lord says, by the way, there's a couple guys coming to the door here. You need to get down and meet them. They're going to ask you to go with them. You need to go with them. And, of course, as that's happening, three men come. Peter's coming down off the roof. It's an outside stairway. He runs into the three men that the Lord told him were coming. And uh, verse 22 says, They said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one that feareth God, and of good report among the, the nation of the Jews, was warned of God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, again, Peter then taking these Gentiles into the house of Simon the tanner. Then called he them in and lodged them, remarkable. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them. And notice it says, and certain brethren from Joppa. We're going to find out in chapter 11, there are six of these Jewish believers that go with Peter. So there is the three men from Cornelius. There's Peter and six other men. There are ten of them then traveling together here and um, going from Joppa to Caesarea, about 30 miles, at least a two-day journey depending on your pace on foot. And then it says, and on the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and he had called together his kinsmen, his family, and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, he's entering into the house of Cornelius, which is incredible because no Jew would go into the house of a Gentile because they would be, eat unclean things. They didn't, uh, according to the law, purify things the right way. The Mishnah forbid Jews to go into the house of a Gentile. 
And it says, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He's paying homage. It's what he understood because to Cornelius, heaven knows who this guy is. Angels know who this guy is. And they're telling me to get him and bring him to my house. And if all heaven's aware of who this guy is, this guy's something. So Peter comes in, he falls down, it says, at his feet and worshipped him. And Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. Don't do this. You might start something weird where people kiss my toe for centuries. Somewhere in a statue or something. And you know, the, the statue of Peter there in uh, the Vatican, uh, the big toe is worn away. It's a bronze statue. And tell me how much traffic you need for human lips to wear away a bronze toe. I mean, that, that has been some undertaking. I'll tell you that. He says, stand up. I also am a man. You know, just you need to understand this. And as he talked with him, he went in and found, notice this, many that were coming together. How many are there? No doubt the centurion has a significant home. Are there 30? Are there 50? Are there 80? Are there 100? We don't know. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come in unto another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You know, the, the prophet Hosea said, you know, those that are not my people are going to be called Loami and so forth. It will be called my people and and Peter now is is no doubt still thinking of being at the house of Simon the Tanner and seeing the wineskins hung there and how the Lord had said, you can't put new wine in old skins, Peter. You need a new skin to preserve, you know, then both the wine and the skin. This gospel, he says, needs to be put into a new environment that both that environment, the church, and the gospel would be preserved. And it says, as he talked, they went in, they found many come together. And again, we don't know how many, we don't know who, but look, the Lord knows each one of them. Realize this is probably one of the most significant transitions in the book of Acts. The Lord had told Peter he was giving him the keys to the kingdom that has certain significance about keys on a sash and a scribe and so forth. But Peter's now going to unlock the door to the Gentile world. He hadn't dreamed that he would do that. Philip lived in Caesarea, but Philip was not the one to do it because it was necessary for the church in Jerusalem to hear from Peter's own testimony and the six other believers that are with him that God had poured out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles it says, as same as he did on us. Peter's not going to lay his hands on them like in, in chapter 8. You know, this is a situation where the Gentiles are listening to 
Peter share from the word. And as they're listening, the Holy Spirit falls upon them and they speak with tongues or filled with the spirit. It's a Gentile Pentecost. The door is open to the Gentile world. And that's why we're sitting here this evening. The transition is in this chapter. So those that are gathered, this many, it says, God knows every one of their names. He knows every one of their ages. He knows every one of their family situations. He knows every one of the questions in their heart. This is a group of people that God gathered together to be eye and ear witnesses of the door swinging open to the Gentile world. Just remarkable, remarkable picture. I mean, the Jews had been faithful. They had copied the scripture. They had kept God's ordinances. You know, the, 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 the foundation of it was there. It became very legalistic, obviously. But now it's, op- it's going to open up to the other nations of the world, which was always God's heart. You had the, the court of the Gentiles, right, in the temple. So now there are this many that are gathered together. And he tells them, it's not legal for me as a Jew, customary, to come into the house of a Gentile. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, no, no other motivation for me to come here. As soon as I was sent for... I ask, therefore, what, for what intent have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, the time of the evening sacrifice, and at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me, in bright clothing, the, the Greek word is in brilliant clothing. It's emanating, it's shining forth, it's like lightning and brilliant clothing. Just the, the scene here is overwhelming. Just try to imagine what he sees here. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner, by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. So he says, that's why you're here. Why why did I call you? Because an angel appeared to me. And God, you know, heaven spoke to me and said I needed to summon you and ask you to come and that you were going to speak words to us that were necessary. And he said, you know, the angel said, God, Cornelius, has heard your, it's interesting, it's your prayer, but there's a definite article, heaven has heard your, the prayer. You know, there's a difference between praying and your prayer. You know, I pray before meals, I pray before the services, I pray before I teach. There's a difference between my praying and my prayer. What's your prayer? What is it? What's your prayer? 
Lord, let me finish well. Lord, lead me today and tomorrow. Lord, set me free from this sin that I get involved in. Lord, reveal yourself to me. Lord, fill me afresh with your spirit. What's your prayer? Is the difference between our praying and our prayer? Paul said his prayer was that he could even be counted accursed, that his his brethren of the of, of Israel could be gathered in. You know, uh, what's your prayer? That's a good question for all of us. He he that's because of the angel saying, God hath heard. Your, your the prayer, your prayer. Heaven knew you were longing for the truth, that you were doing alms, that you were seeking one God. You know, he, he, not yet regenerated, of course he wouldn't have a prayer the way we do, but there was a specific burden on his heart that heaven acknowledged and paid attention to. And then this angel said, send therefore... To Joppa and call hither Simon, surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh, he's going to speak unto thee. And immediately, therefore, I guess so, you do that when an angel appears in your bedroom and tells you what to do. Immediately, therefore, I send to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. This is a good thing. Now, therefore, are we all here present, notice what he says, before God. This was God's deal. We're all here present before God, including you, Peter, to hear all the things that are commanded thee of God. Human history poised. You know, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. You know, this is it. The door is going to open to the Mediterranean world, to the Roman world, to the Greek culture, to the Gentiles, to you and I. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to keep the dietary law. We don't have to keep feasts. We don't have to, you know, keep Sabbath. We don't have to do those things. It's going to tell us here it's by believing whosoever believeth then experiences the remission of sins. And this door is going to swing open here in this remarkable record. So it says, Then Peter opened his mouth. Now as we study him through the Gospels, that's no surprise. But this is much different here. He's being directed. His, his sword has been sharpened. His words are very specific here as he begins to open up this good news to the Gentiles. He opened his mouth and he said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. By the way, that's stated at least six other times in the Bible, that God is no respecter of persons. And the present tense here, he, say, he says, I am in the process of perceiving. I am learning this. It's coming to me. I am in the process of perceiving that God is no respecter of persons. And, and there's a 
nuance there that sometimes means to, to see the face. He's no respecter or acceptor of the face. Very interesting. But in every nation, now Peter understands the sheet that was let down from heaven. Every nation, Jew or Gentile, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say you know. Now, so he's saying he's saying here, look, God's no respecter of persons. I'm realizing that. I, I'm realizing that. I'm growing. And in every nation, whatever the nation is, there are those who he says here are accepted. They they fear God. They work righteousness. And there's an acceptance in that. Obviously, he doesn't mean that's how you are saved. Because if that was enough, he wouldn't preach the rest of the sermon. Is he saying that those Jew or Gentile in every nation that are saved are accepted of God? It's hard for us to know. It's hard to be dogmatic. The word accepted there is is the actually the word acceptable, and it's the word used in Leviticus 13 and Le- Leviticus 19 about a sacrifice that was acceptable. So it, it seems that he's saying, look, it, it's not the center of his message, but he's saying, look, God's not a respecter of person. I'm in the p- process of perceiving that right now and learning it. And God's going to get his hands on people from all nations, Jews and Gentiles. And he says, and because God is not a respecter of persons, he that fears God and works with righteousness is accepted with him. And he says, now the word, now this is logos, logon, which God sent unto the children of Israel. He gave to them through Moses. He gave to them the Pentateuch. He gave to them the prophets. He gave to them the word. Faith comes by hearing, by hearing by the word of God. He says, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching is evangelizo. This is proclaiming the good news, preaching peace. That's the good news by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, deity. Wonderful tonight, if we have peace in our life because of Jesus Christ, it's good to know he's Lord of all. If we have his peace, we have the peace of the one who is Lord of all. Nobody's going to mess with it or take it away from us. He's Lord of all. And we have his peace. How wonderful. And he says, he says this is the word, he says, that God gave his word to the children of Israel, preaching the good news of peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all, deity. He's Lord of all. That word, now rhema, more specific, directed in a particular direction, I say, you know. You know this word, you know, because it tells us Paul when he's speaking in chapter 26, verse 26, he said, look, Felix, he said, you know this thing. This wasn't done in a corner. This is not hidden through all Judea and all of Galilee. They knew about John the Baptist. Everybody knew. Multitudes were drawn. 
in both those regions, everybody heard about this carpenter, this prophet who was opening the eyes of the blind and raising the dead. They had all heard that he was crucified, that the Romans had crucified him and that the religious community was antagonistic. They had all heard the rumors that he was risen. So Peter says, you know, this word, this preaching of Jesus, whereby men will have peace, he said, he's Lord of all. And that word, I say, you know, which was published throughout all of Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, proclaimed repentance, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Look, he's, go he's going to build these points, each one with God, okay? In verse 34, he says, God is no respecter of persons. Verse 38, he says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 38, God was with him. Verse 40, God raised him on the third day. Verse 41, chosen before of God. Verse 42, ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. So in, in each of these things, Peter says, this is God's work. This is God's work. This is God's work. So he, sa he says here that you know this word it was preached throughout all of Judaism. You heard about John the Baptist, what was preached, and how that God anointed then Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So he says, you know these things. You heard about the miracles. You heard about what was going on. You heard these things. And, and no doubt the entire region had heard. It tells us that sometimes those from beyond Damascus, those from Decapolis, those from Judea and Jerusalem. The scholars feel sometimes there were 40 to 50,000 people following Jesus. The crowds were unimaginable. And certainly the Romans knew all about that. They took heed of all of that. And the centurions would talk. Certainly they knew. He, he knew there was a centurion that stood at the cross and saw the darkness and, 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 and saw the earthquake and said, surely this was the Son of God. He knew, no doubt, about the, those who had stood guard at the tomb of Jesus and the angel come and rolling away the stone and how they fled and the, the high priest paid them off not to say anything. You know, the, they knew that behind every tax collector, Zacchaeus, Matthew, there was a Roman with a sword and a spear, which said that all of the power of Rome was behind these taxes that were being collected. They knew each other these centurions and these Romans. He says, you have heard of this. You knew he was anointed with power and that he went about doing good. Isaiah 61, anointed, open the eyes of the blind, bind up the brokenhearted, set the captives free, those who were oppressed of the devil, because God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. He says, we are witnesses. You heard about all this? You heard about it? We were there. Just imagine if Peter or John or James or one of us here tonight and said, yeah, you guys heard about it? You heard about it? <laughs> we were there. We, we saw Jairus' daughter get up from the dead. 
We saw the, 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 the sea roaring and go perfectly still when he rebuked it. We saw Lazarus come jumping out of that tomb, stinky. We were there. We saw these things. We saw lepers cleansed. We saw a man let down through the roof. And then the Lord told him to take up his bed and go home. We saw him healed. We saw a woman with blood flow holding onto the garment, his garment. And how he, he singled her out and told her to go and to be blessed and to enter into life. We were there. We saw it at the pool of Bethesda. We saw him confront the Pharisees and the Sadducees in, in the in the, the temple courts, and, and he outdid all of them. They couldn't stand before him. We watched him overturn the tables of the money changers. We were there. We watched it. We were eyewitnesses. Imagine if they could talk to us tonight. If you could raise your hand and ask questions, what would you ask? He says, whom then they slew. And hanged on a tree. It's very interesting. Peter, Jewish ministry, no doubt thinking of Deuteronomy. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land may not be defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. He, Peter, in the Jewish context, thinking, and he tells us that Jesus was hanged on a tree, that he was cursed for us. No doubt, you know, um, Cornelius understood this Jewish context. When we When we follow Paul... He's going to constantly talk about the cross. He doesn't talk about the tree. Because the cross in the Roman world, the crucifixion was understood by every Roman. They say at one point in time there were almost 60 miles of crucifixes outside of Rome on the Apian Way. If you can imagine. Paul will talk about the cross. Peter says he was hanged on a tree. They hung him on a tree... And he says, him God raised up on the third day. And I imagine Cornelius and his household, his friends are sitting there stunned in silence. God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God even unto us who did eat and drink with him. Notice, after he rose from the dead, rose from the dead, Eknekron, after he rose out from among the dead, which was, uh, uh, to the Jews, it blew their mind because they believed Daniel chapter 12 in a general resurrection. There would be those who are raised unto life, those would be raised unto damnation, you know, and humiliation. They had no idea of anybody being raised out from among the dead. In fact, Jesus said to them on the way down from the Mount of Transfiguration, don't say anything to any man. Don't tell anybody what happened up there. 
until Jesus be raised out from among the dead. Raised from the dead is what the English says. And then you notice in the one gospel it says they began to question what this rising from the dead might mean. What they said was what does this rising out from among the dead mean? Because they expect the dead all to be raised at one time. And it says here that God raised him on the third day, showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose out from among, from the dead. And just think of it. He's saying, he said, we ate and drank with him. You know, in chapter 1, when we, when we read there, when it says, um, to, him, to whom he showed himself alive, the apostles, after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And it says, And being assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem. Being assembled means to sit at the table and break bread together. What was it like for them? You know, they had followed him. They had seen the miracles. You know, only John stayed at the cross. They, they came on the morning early after hearing from Mary Magdalene. Peter and John ran the empty tomb and so forth. And then Peter, you know, in his mind, he's, he's you know, finally hears from, you know, the women. Yeah, they, they said, go tell his disciples, oh, yeah, and you too, Peter, that he's risen from the dead. And Peter's thinking, great, the last thing I heard was what the rooster crowing. And, you know, I'm in, I'm in deep trouble here. And, and then to encounter him. Somewhere in the process, it says he appeared alone to Peter. Did he say, Shalom? Look, it's paid, Peter. Thomas, touch my hands, my feet. Does this have the spirit, flesh, and bone? You know, you think, what was it like for them? And then 40 days, 40 days, over a month, he speaks to them about the things of the kingdom, and he breaks bread. He said, we sat with them at the table many times and ate with them. After he rose from the dead. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. You know, watch my mom take her last breath. Watch my dad take his last breath. Can't imagine the undertaker taking him, putting him in a tomb, and a couple of days later showing up at the house. You got any of that pie left, you know? <laughs> just, just imagine. I mean, try to imagine. They sat there and they looked at him and they asked him questions and they ate with him. And we're told specifically he talked to them about the things pertaining to the kingdom. That's when they said, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He talked to them about the millennium. He talked to them about the things that were ahead of them. And Peter's telling this Gentile that we sat with him. We talked with him. We ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. He, he, he sent us out to, 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 to preach to the people and to say, this is the one who, who is going to judge the living and the dead. This is the risen Lord. This is the King of kings and so forth. He sent us out to do that, to communicate that, uh, that he was ordained of God. This was the place he was given. Jesus said, the Father judges no man. He's given all judgment to the Son in John's Gospel. And it says, this is the message that we have. And to him, 
give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. Now look, it says, to him gave all the prophets witness. Testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 19. And they all gave witness that through his name, whosoever believeth, that's you and I, we're one of the whosoevers. It means everyone, it means anyone, it's a broad term. The Jews didn't sit well with it because it included Gentiles. And he's there saying, I realize God's not a respecter of persons. It's not, you know that's our tradition that I don't come into this house, but God sent me and said, don't you call anything common that I've cleansed. And he says, so this message then is that whosoever believeth goes on believing in him shall receive the remission of sins, the good news, the sins being sent away, the sins being taken away, the sins you know, separated as far as the east from the west. And then look in verse 44. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Ramata, he's speaking life. While he spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them that heard the word of God, the law of God. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. It means they're astonished beyond measure as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So, you know, Peter gets to the point where he says, and this is the good news, God's ordained him. He set him one. He's the one. God raised him. And the message is, whosoever believes, receives the remission of his sins, whosoever. And as he says that, the Holy... Peter's sermon was not over. He had four more points, at least. He, he, he had a good sermon planned out. He was going to do this. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost interrupts and falls on the words, whosoever believeth will receive the remission of sins. Boom, the Holy Ghost falls down on those words. Now, you know, it's interesting, too, because you look at it and you think, I'm, Peter, Peter's the only guy in the Bible that's been interrupted by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you know. He's interrupted by the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was saying, it's a good thing we're here. Let us build three tabernacles, and a voice comes from heaven. This is my son. Listen to him. You know, they all fall down. He's numerous times, really, interrupted by Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. You know, he just, because he was with Jesus a lot, so he said a lot of things he shouldn't have said. You know, it was always foot and mouth disease. Ready, fire, aim. All the time with Peter. And then here he's interrupted by the Holy Ghost. I'm sure he's the only human being who's ever lived who has been interrupted by the Trinity. You know, this is remarkable, really. And, and the Holy Ghost falls as he's hoping to finish his sermon, but he's made the point that God wants to make. God knows every one of those people that were drawn to that house. He's opening the gate of forgiveness of the gospel to the Gentile world. And when Peter says, whosoever believes him in him shall receive the remission of sins, whoo, the Holy Ghost falls 
on the room. It's, it's interesting. And it says, they that of the circumcision, the Jewish believers that are there with him, which believed, they were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here's these other six believing Jews. What they're astonished with here isn't, it's not just that Gentiles can be saved. What they're astonished with is that Gentiles don't have to become Jews before they get saved. That's what they're astonished with. They're not circumcised. They don't keep the feast. They haven't become believers, you know, proselytes of the gate. You know, just they're Gentiles here. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and it says they're astounded that that could happen. These religious Jews, because they're, they're, you know, they're not going to keep the law. They're not eating. They're eating Italian sausage. They're not eating kosher. They're not, you know, and none of that, those things matter to God Almighty, except those of any nation who have, who fear God and have the right heart towards Him that believe. And the Holy Ghost falls here. And listen, in verse 46, it's interesting, and it says, "For they look." They heard them, these Jewish believers heard them speak, present tense, speaking with tongues, like the day of Pentecost, heard them speaking with tongues, and look what it says, and magnify God. That means these Gentiles are either speaking in Aramaic or Hebrew. If the Jews that came understood what they were saying, and heard them magnifying God. It's like the day of Pentecost. They, you know, these people from all of these different nations are come, and every man hears them praising God in his own dialect, in his own language. And it says these Jews understand what they're saying in tongues, and they're magnifying God in the things that they're saying, and they're astonished. They're astounded. You know, these Gentiles who maybe didn't know Aramaic or Hebrew a minute before this now are talking about how magnificent God is in their native tongue. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost, notice, as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized. Now, anybody who believes in baptismal regeneration has got a major problem here because they're regenerated before they're baptized. You know, there are people that say you can't be saved unless you're baptized. It doesn't say that here. For Paul the Apostle said to say, I thank God I baptized none of you but the household of Stephanus, you know, the most zealous evangelist that ever lived, if baptism saved, he would never have said that. These here are filled with the Holy Ghost. They're regenerated. They're saved. So it's regeneration is not in baptism. And Peter says, then can anybody forbid that water that they should, those who have received the Holy Ghost like we did, that they should be baptized And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him that he would tarry with them for certain days. So uh, it says they're, they're commanded to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
You know, you've been around the church for any number of years. You know, there are those who say you baptize in the name of Jesus only. There's the Jesus only tribe. And then there's no, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Matthew 28. There's the, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit tribe. And they want to fight with each other. We're supposed to love each other because we're Christians and the fruit of the Spirit is love, but we want to fight over baptism. You know, it's, it, so it's a lot of fun. When, you know, when, when I baptize, I baptize you in the name of Jesus into the Father. In the, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit into Jesus. So I, I cover all my bases so nobody, nobody feels gypped and nobody can, uh, you know, nobody give me a hard time about it. But remarkably here, then, then it says they're baptized. Is Philip there? We're wondering, you know. Um, he lived in Caesarea. He must have heard that Peter was coming. But God wouldn't use Philip to open the door to the Gentiles. It had to be Peter. This was such a momentous thing. It had to be one of the apostles. And Peter, you know, primarily one of the, the pillars, Paul will call him, in Jerusalem, and it's important because as we get into the next chapter, if you read ahead and the, the Lord tarries, the Jews in Jerusalem are saying, what's the deal? We heard you went into a Gentile's house. You, ha you, you ate there. We, we heard that you baptized Gentiles. You know, and Peter says, this is what happened. I was in the middle of my sermon. I was, wouldn't even get to my point yet. And the Holy Spirit fell on them again, as he did on us at the beginning. Peter's relating to Pentecost when they spoke in tongues, which is interesting because they were already filled with the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. When the King of kings and the Lord of lords breathes on you, and it's the same word used in the Septuagint, first time in the Bible when God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And the Lord of Lords had been waiting for thousands of years to breathe life into his image bearers again. And he has them together in John chapter 20. It says he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Spirit. They were born again when they received the baptism of the Spirit on Pentecost. Here, these received the baptism of the Spirit evidenced by speaking in tongues. It didn't happen everywhere. It happens here again as a sign to Peter and those with him. This is the same thing you guys experience. It's happening to the Gentiles too. And Peter will say the same thing that happened to us happened to them. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, if Brian is somewhere in the building, we'll bring him in now. I don't want to start. I don't want to start on the next part of it uh, because I think you know it brings us to an important point. And I think as we worship, we'll, we'll take some time. We got some extra time. We'll sing more than one song. But let's, uh, let's ask the Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit as we do this. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look, well, I'm already filled. Well, if you don't need it, pray for me. I want it. Okay? <laughs> Peter was already filled with the Spirit on Pentecost, and it says when he stood up to address the Sanhedrin, chapter 413, it says, Peter filled, class condition, fresh new filling, Tells us then further on, chapter 4, 31, the disciples are gathered together. 
had, they had been filled on Pentecost, and they asked God for wisdom and, to, and boldness to share about the Christ. And it says the place where they were was shaken, and they were all filled, class condition, freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. If you have an old Schofield, wonderfully there in the notes, it says one baptism, many fillings. Spirit-filled Christian is not a title, it's a condition. And uh, I personally am desperately in need of fresh filling of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, I got saved in 1972 and uh, had a bunch of Pentecostals sitting around me praying in tongues and got filled with the Spirit. But I'm really finding that in 1972, filling of the Holy Spirit is not adequate for 2021. I need a 2021 filling with the Holy Spirit, as you do, whether you know it or not. So let's worship. Uh, Let's stand together. Let's worship several songs. And as we do, I encourage you, just ask the Lord, Lord, whatever this is, Lord, I would enjoy a fresh filling of your spirit, Lord. Grant that to me, Lord. I have no desire to walk in the energy of the flesh, to undertake the things that you have ahead of me. What, what, in the days that are ahead of us, what's there? What's going to happen to us if the rapture doesn't happen? How desperately will we need the Holy Spirit like the apostles in the days that are ahead of us? What trying times could be coming, you know? Lord, I know you've overheard. Lord, we thank you for this record. And, and Lord, we thank you for this open door we get to look at this evening because we are, we're here, Lord. We're the beneficiaries of that open door. But, Lord, we are also like the house of Cornelius, Lord, listening to your word, Lord. We are also, Lord, open, Lord, thirsting, Lord. The angel said that Heaven had heard his prayer, not his praying. Lord, hear our prayer, Lord. Fill us, Lord. Jesus, when he walked among us, Father, said, How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Lord, we lift our voices now in praise and in song. Lord, we lift our hearts along with our voices. We think of Jesus speaking of hypocrisy saying these people draw near to me with their lips but their hearts are far away lord we want to bring our hearts right in line with our voices and the the things that we sing now lord we want our hearts to be singing the same things at the same time and our prayer is lord as we lift these things before you lord fill us afresh lord jesus we 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 love your presence we love your spirit We love your grace. We love the love of Christ being shed abroad from our hearts, Lord. Hear us, Lord. We believe your word. We believe what it says, Lord. We believe you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We sing your praise, Lord. And we ask your filling.